Hi, everyone. And today we are going to be talking about the BAFTAs and June's part two, which premiered in Abu Dhabi. We're also going to talk about why there is so much talk about Madame Web reviews all over the internet. Is it good? Is it bad? Who knows? And we're also going to talk about Bargeal Arts group exhibition at the Foundry and the right market in Man About Town. Hi and welcome. This is Culture Bites coming to you from the National News. I'm Ines Lefari. And I'm Farah Andrews. So let's kick off. Let's talk about BAFTAs. The BAFTAs. The BAFTAs. So the British... Wait, British Film... British Academy of Film and Television Awards. There we go. It's a big one, but yeah. it feels like quite British centered. Like it's very nicely British. Yeah, because now I've moved here, I just feel like I don't know. Is it because I'm a bit British that I kind of look to those kind of things as being an authority? Like maybe they're really yeah, not I that think, big a deal. I don't know. I mean, no, I think there's like kind of like there's definitely a space for it in the award season conversation. It's definitely a part of award season calendar. It's yeah, it's a significant night. And I think what it does quite well is that it really does like spotlight British film, the kind of small pieces that are coming out, kind of more indie film, as well as the kind of films that we're having a conversation about all award season, all award season. with like kind of like your Emma Stones and your Ryan Gosling's on the red carpet doing big things. So yeah. When I saw the winners list, mm-hmm. I have a real big interest in short films and how short films do and like short productions in general and the winner this year was somebody of middle eastern origin ah and the story is you can watch it on youtube it's called jellyfish and lobster it made me cry oh it really is emotional you need to like ferociously gook jellyfish and lobster jellyfish and lobster and that's what won the short film category this year at the baftas so there had, we go. I had no I, idea. Let me, let, me, let me get the actual name of the uh, the director up. But yeah, it was really, really good. Really well filmed. Really beautifully made piece. And the name of the director, who I believe is of Middle Eastern origin, her name is Yasmin Afifi. But what I liked about it was that one of the central characters in this short film, which one of after, is an Arab man who is talking all about like love and lust and like getting old. You have me stressing about how much this was not on our radar. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I know. I should have I should have spoken about this. Maybe I just left this little tidbit for the old podcast. Listen, we need some content for the pod. <laughs> so yeah. I can read you a little bit about what, it, what this short film is about. Please do. The description is when two people are brought together serendipitously, 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 in a moment of mischief, two elderly care home residents form an unlikely friendship, relationship, when they make an enchanted discovery. And I'm going to leave it there because I think it's something we should all try and watch. So Jellyfish and Lobster, you can see it on YouTube. It's got a rating on IMBD of eight, which I think is actually unfair. I think it deserves a nine. So if you watch it. Go and drive it up. Drive it up. We've had a a lot of conversations about how actors, producers are kind of using their platform at award seasons to kind of stand and make statements of solidarity with conflicts in the Middle East, obviously specifically Gaza, but their in zone of interest director, no, sorry, producer, oh. James Wilson, when they won an award, he took the opportunity to speak about the conflicts in Gaza and Yemen. So are you familiar with this film? No. That's okay. Is that okay? Yeah, of I'm course sorry. It is. I'm sorry. I'm cultured. <laughs> but it is, um, it's, so it's set during the Second World War and it's set in Auschwitz. So it's incredibly powerful as a film. 
I'm going to read out what he said at the BAFTAs. He said, A friend wrote to me after seeing the film the other day and he said he couldn't stop thinking about the walls we construct in our lives which we choose not to look behind, he said on stage when accepting his award. Those walls aren't new from before or during or since the Holocaust. And it seems stark right now that we should care about innocent people being killed in Gaza or Yemen in the same way we think about innocent people killed in Maripool or in Israel, he said, Mm. to which he received a roar of applause. Wow. I feel like the Brits in general are a little bit more like open about like showing solidarity against war. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think British people are in general. Well, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of. Hmm, I think we've seen it. We've seen it coming from Spain, and we are slowly seeing more Hollywood stars doing it. But it's yeah, it's not happening as quickly as maybe a lot of people would like. I mean, I feel like can we even go to an award ceremony without an Arab designer being there? No. <laughs> but Emily Blunt did wear an amazing beaded Ellie Saab gown. She looks incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. And such a British talent. Yeah. I, I really liked the dress. Our man, who is obviously going to be here in a bit, did not think she looked great. But <laughs> it's important to have balance. Uh, no, I loved her look. So when I first started working in this region, covering, I've always kind of covered like entertainment and red carpets. And it would be like very newsworthy every time we kind of had like a Lebanese designer dressing one of the Hollywood stars. But then like this week, it was like, do we write an individual story about this? I was like, no, it, hap- like, it happens all the time. It, we, it's, We're just it's amazing. designers now. Exactly. It's not, We're not being defined by our Arabness. This is it. This is it. Um, but we did actually end up rounding up kind of like a good night for Arab and Indian designers in one story because we also had Bollywood actress Deepika Padukone who wore a beaded sari, which was phenomenal. Have you ever worn a sari? Yes. Oh! Tell me about that time. Did you wrap it yourself? <laughs> no, I've not got those skills. <laughs> I went to a wonderful wedding in Kerala in 2022. And you wore a sari. So I have to confess, this is like one of my big dreams is to wear a sari. So I have many Indian friends, two of whom aren't married, who I'm hoping they're listening to this and getting the hint. Yeah. Because get married, so you can wear a sari. Kira and Poppy get married. But one of my dear, dear friends, Rashika, she got married, but she got married like a few days after my own wedding. And so I was already on honeymoon. Oh. And it felt like I couldn't go to her wedding because I was on honeymoon. Right. And like, do you spend your honeymoon going to somebody else's wedding? Not traditionally, no. No. So we did. I didn't. And I still regret it. Because <laughs> in my mind, I want to wear like either, I've thought about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, it'll be either like, my two favourite colours are orange and green. Wonderful. Right? And orange works well in the sorry and so does green yeah so it'd either be one of those very vi- I, I don't think there's actually this is my real layman's view but i don't think that isn't i don't think it is a color that does not work on a sorry like the more vibrant the better fair my friend poppy actually wore a rainbow colored one to oh, her wedding beautiful. and it was stunning yeah my so mine was like very royal blue with gold Ooh. and it was I, I felt lovely in it it was i really liked wearing it it was like the most comfortable thing ever yeah, I stunning. had to have help. So elegant, but yeah, a lot of help. Much help. To get the pleats. So we had, the wedding was um, my friend who's from the UK. She married an Indian guy in Kerala. And so it was like big Indian wedding, his family all out. And then kind of like about 20 or 30 of friends from the UK that that's went a, over. That's a lot of people to travel for your wedding. Though. Yeah. 
And we all stayed at the hotel where the wedding was. I, I mean, I was, I was definitely a plus one. I went as my, my this <laughs> bride's sister's friend, plus one. So there was on the day, there was quite a few friends that all, like some people wore um, the hangers, so they didn't need to be I love help. I've worn a lenga. A lenga. Yeah. Um, so they didn't need help to be dressed too much. But the the sari crew, yeah, we were definitely helped by three wonderful women who worked at the spa in the hotel who came and dressed us for like hours before the wedding. <laughs> so that's my little dream. Anyway. Well, should we move on? Well, I wanted to talk Wait. about men. Yeah. <laughs> Full stop. Hello. <laughs> because I feel like... It's a family podcast for us. <laughs> hey, this is going to be very, very PG. Um, I feel like we don't... We always talk about women on the red carpet, and I feel like the men at the BAFTAs really brought it. And so what have I got for you? What have you got for me? Visual prompts. Yes. Please come to my very amateur presentation, which is not going to translate for the listener. Enjoy. <laughs> right. The men. So I feel like some men do obviously grab the headlines at the red carpet. So is this BAFTA, has it been exceptionally special? We've got Ryan Gosling. Lovely. Off-white. Lovely. Red piping. Gucci. Feels very like kind of retro, which is very Gucci it's anyway. It's giving 60s, 70s. Yeah. Also we a bit can't... of Ken vibes. Is that bad to say? It's what we want. He oh, is yeah. Ken. He is Ken, yeah. We move on to Coleman Domingo. I'm obsessed. I love this outfit. The this trousers, the kind of like shorter kind of tux jacket. The bow tie. The, the heel. The bow. Yeah, we've got a bit of a heel there. Could be Cuban. Might not be. Don't want to pigeonhole it to one specific country. As a tall woman, I feel like mo more men should wear heels anyways. <laughs> Here we are. This is a potentially divisive look. We've got Bradley Cooper in Louis Vuitton. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like an, an undertaker's coat. Right. I don't disagree. <laughs> hey, let's go back to our Saltburn conversation. He plays oh, Farley. Fantastic. Oh, God, he looks so different. Is it because of the hair? Maybe, but get a closer look. Is that bejeweled? This is a, this is a lot of fun for bejeweled. me to watch. Yeah, I mean, this is not a lot of fun for people to listen to. But, but he's wearing, he's like, wearing... bejeweled loewe. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's very shiny shoe, a very, like, kind of almost wide leg trouser, which is stopping at the ankle. And no tie, really simple neckline with a kind of like a glitzy, glamorous black jacket. Perfect. This is basically my call out for men on the red carpets to not feel like they have to play it safe. Yeah. I mean, Timothy Chalamet. He never, Chalamet, he never plays it safe. He never plays it safe. I will forever hold on to that red halter neck that he wore. The red halter neck was a vibe. Although at the June premiere in London, I think he played it too safe. Or like silver trousers, like that's meant to be edgy. Listen, my friends own them. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Farah, your friends are edgy. <laughs> I, hey, I've got my, my silver skirt. <laughs> oh, no. And then so moving from June to... June. June to June. June to June. <laughs> yeah. So Timothy wasn't here. But no. A lot of the big stars actually did come to Abu Dhabi. We which... have had a big week. Very big week. So we had the Middle Eastern premiere for June held here in the UAE. It was held in Abu Dhabi at the Galleria Mall. That's a fit. Are you a Galleria mm. Mall fan? I love the Galleria Mall. Right. Well, it's definitely the best. <laughs> So we had Josh Brolin, who is a very, a very popular actor and a, one of the big stars of the film. Um, Dave Bautista, who 
was being very cute on the red carpet and playing rock, paper, scissors with like the people lining up and the crowds that were there. And also the director, Dennis Villanueva. Villanueva. I'm assuming that I'm saying that right. I might be saying it wrong. I feel I like you said like, that perfectly. Um, there's not an episode where I don't have a pronunciation correction. So let's just stay, stick to what we know. Um, and so they, yeah, they all three of them were here in the UAE. They did the red carpet event on Sunday night, which we had a crew of reporters, some of your team, some of my team down meeting the stars, kind of enjoying all the hype at the event. And then the next day, they headed back out into the empty quarter where much of the film was shot for June 2. And they did kind of like some interviews and some photo calls out there in the desert. So a lot of like celebrity fun here in the UAE this week. I love that. It was a really amazing to see, you know, where the birthplace of June is. I feel like Abu Dhabi is the birthplace, right? I don't know if I can stand by that massive (laughs) statement, but let's run with it. Why not? The Liwa Desert is where it all comes from. Yeah, it's all kind of out there in the, yeah, it's like a very, very, very key set for the film. And um, the director has said that so much of like how they filmed here for film one and how much the those big expanses of sandy landscape really did inform kind of what they were going to create for the second film, which is awesome. Some people have seen it. I haven't seen it yet. Have you seen it? No, did but some of my team have. Wow. Some of our team they have. actually said to me, Will said it was better than the first one. We better make sure that this is not embargo. Oh, no, this comes out. So the f- embargo for reviews are tonight. So we can say that, yeah. Big fans, big fans. And then we have, yeah, Abu Dhabi uh, has also been home to other big films. There are huge films that have been shot here. I just, I mean, I think you have to have been living under a rock to not know that Mission Impossible, the latest one, was on top of Abu Dhabi airport. (laughs) (laughs) That really like kind of took over the country, which is in the best way. Tom Cruise is like an honorary Emirati at this stage, I think. (laughs) He's here so much. But I think the other one that actually shocked me, I didn't know that Fast and Furious. Yeah. There's like scenes shot in Emirates Palace. What? (laughs) Yeah. Oh God, I have to rewatch these things. It's becoming a new UAE. Yeah. UAE? Years ago, Star Wars was obviously shot part here as well. So kind of like the kind of beautiful sandy expanses in the Star Wars, in the uh, most recent Star Wars universe. I've got like one of, um, a person who used to be on our team, who is our former film reporter, a guy called Chris Newbold. He was telling me one night when we were out working that he remembers when he kind of caught wind that there was like a rumor that Star Wars was being shot here, right? And these sets are so locked down, Okay. So he heard this rumor and he was like, right, I'm going out and I'm basically going to like scour the desert and I'm going to find this film set. But he was like kind of like following desert roads kind of like out. And like there's a lot of logic in kind of like going out towards like Casa al Sarab because like there are facilities there. So a lot of the Dune cast stayed at Casa al Sarab, which is a phenomenal hotel. If you get a chance to go stay there, I'm a very, very, very big fan. So it makes a lot of sense for kind of like things to be around there. So you kind of like went out in that direction. And he was like getting pretty sure that he was like on the case. And then he remembers seeing, I'm going to say the Millennium Falcon, but if I'm wrong, because it doesn't fit into the Star Wars universe at this particular time, please don't come for me, Star Wars fans. But he saw like an enormous Star Wars contraption, what? massive spaceship in the desert. And he was like, 
jackpot. <laughs> did he did he take loads of photos? Or? He found the set. <sighs> yeah. I mean, for any like big Star Wars fan. Which I'm, I think he is. Oh God, that's amazing. Seminal moment, right? <laughs> I do remember my, my sister-in-law was working on the Pokemon film. Oh. And there's a few people I know who are huge Pokemon fans. And we're just like, just, just, can you steal something? And she was like, no, <laughs> no. I will lose my job. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 please, please. Just like anything, anything. Oh, so and she was like, I will lose my job. So, <laughs> no. I was telling Man the other day that there's like this stretch of road by my parents' house that's like four lanes of like completely unused highway that currently doesn't link to, I guess eventually it's going to be like a flyover or something. But at the moment, it's just like a really large expanse of like highway that's just empty. And I'll often be driving up to their house and there are like supercars and big like filming like racks that are just like there just like fil- like filming these like mega scenes. And I-, I think there's like a lot of like the big driving scenes that are kind of shot what? just there. Yeah. That's so cool. And then I like go on to like it, Twitter and be like, what is this? And 99.9% of the time it's a Bollywood film. And I'm ah. like, yes! <laughs> I do. I like being in a place where it feels like there's, you know. People are coming, people are filming. It was yeah. a bit like that in London as well. Um, it's exciting. Yeah, that's you nice. Stop, find a block, and then it's like all kind of closed off yeah. for a film. Okay, so there's another thing that you wanted to talk about today. It's very film centric, our week. This yeah, week. It is. This is quite unlike us. It is quite unlike us. It's so, a very filmy week. So let's go through this next story, which I. I'm kind of like, we've spoken about this many a time before about how I love the internet and like the culture of the internet and how it like grows and makes its own little thing. Yeah. This is like one of those things. So this is, I would say, I'm going to categorize this as an internet culture story more than a film story, but it is about Madame Web. (laughs) So um, I think, by the way, last week I said the wrong year. I think I said Madame Web was set in 2007, but I I stand corrected. Self-correction, correction corner, 2003 is when it's set. An equally seminal year for me. I was 14 doing big things. (laughs) Let's not talk about age. Because eh? <laughs> I was that age plus a few. <laughs> and that's how it works. <laughs> so Madame Webb is dividing people. It's dividing the masses. Apparently and potentially even, even dividing the stars. Yeah. <laughs> okay, right. So describe to us what is the film? It's a superhero film. It's a Spider-Man adjacent story. It's kind of like I mean, I want to say like Spider-Man origin story, but it's kind of like even like pre. I, I, there's like is it a prequel? It's like origin. Like Peter Parker's mum's baby shower is like part of this film. Oh gosh! So it's like early doors. Okay, early which doors. is harrowing that that happened in 2003. Sit on that for a moment, please. <laughs> <laughs> Did they even have baby showers back then? Oh, maybe in America. Yeah, quite. Okay, am- right. Quite so, American. Um, so, a lot of the internet is like saying that this film is not a classic, but other parts of the internet are saying, "Guys, you're missing the point. This is is already a cult classic. It's got a cult following. People are loving it." And then this week, there was a very fun tongue-in-cheek story in the Hollywood Reporter. <laughs> like the headline was like, "Hey, some people actually like this film. Some critics actually like this film." <laughs> wild (laughs) and in it they quote our review at the national (laughs) so we like the film we like the film that means i like it there we are william liked the film william's interviewed dakota we're on first name terms dakota and i she um so in the film dakota johnson plays cassandra who starts to unlock clairvoyant powers which she obtained genetically after her mother was guess what 
bitten by a spider. Oh, that, that I, uh, yeah, that storyline. <laughs> Ye olde. At first, she's a reluctant hero, which kind of does check for me for Dakota. Isn't Dakota reluctant? Most? That's what she gives. <laughs> I love Dakota Johnson. Except I think she is not reluctant about being Gwyneth Paltrow's kind of co-parent. They, oh, yes. they're both... Yes. So she's now with Chris Martin, who's Gwyneth Paltrow's consciously uncoupled ex-husband. Yeah. And they seem to have like a very happy co-parenting thing going on. Yeah. They post a lot I of really photos like together on social media. This is a real tangent, but have you seen her Architectural Digest video inside her house? Yes, I have. What, the limes? Yes. The limes. I was there for all of these internet moments. Let's, <laughs> there's, there's another thing about Dakota Johnson though, right? Because there's rumours that she doesn't even like this film. Yeah, so this is what I'm seeing. And I have to say, so I, I kept this little little nugget keep it so in my deep deep in my internet travels there's this kind of like youtuber who makes gowns and he has become kind of like youtube famous um for making gowns right Right. so he makes these like dresses and he's like oh look this is how i'm adding boning to dresses and this is like this big puffy dress and like oh look doesn't she look amazing so he made one for dakota for this film and dakota's in the room so you've got like this big youtube star he's not that big but he's with Dakota and she's like, yeah, that's not, that looks good. You know, she's like, she's like shrugs like, yeah, I suppose. And you're like, OK, weird. So and she then, just brings like the opposite energy to like you and I. <laughs> she brings the opposite energy, which is why she's probably cool. She won't be my friend. Okay. <laughs> then at the end of this YouTube video, which I watched because, you know, I have nothing else but to do with my life. I mean, don't... she doesn't put on the dress. So he makes her this kind of like webbed gown, which is all about promoting her film. But she doesn't try it on. She literally lifts it up and she's like, yeah, that's nice. Oh, (laughs) how does he get her in the room? I don't know. It must be like, you know, like grassroots marketing. I have so many questions. I'm not ready for this to end. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So he manages to get her in the room. He must be, oh, I'm so sad for him. He must have been so amped. He must have been so happy to be Psyched. like, we've got her here. Hollywood. This is it. This is it. Lime-loving megastar. <laughs> I would have incorporated limes. That's what he did. That was his mistake. <laughs> he did webs, not limes. <laughs> she loves limes. She's actually since said she doesn't even like limes. Yeah, she has. She said it was just because somebody dressed her, yeah. her house. Which is, by the way, like one of my dream properties. Everything about it is perfect. Yeah, let's just stop talking about it. I can't it. stop if thinking about it. If you haven't seen the Architectural Digest video of Dakota walking around her stunning home. And she's got Jimmy Kimmel as a neighbour. Oh, let's just stop. The whole thing is like absolute It's perfection. a life we're never going to live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doesn't she have like some really wild wood that's been turned into a table? I feel like it's from like, like one of the original like ships that went over to... <laughs> Which is like, like no, and it's you, just outside on her patio. It's like reclaimed wood isn't enough. <laughs> she needs forefathers reclaimed yeah, wood. Forefathers reclaimed wood. Wow, made yeah, into like a patio. A, like a railway sleeper is not enough. <laughs> like turn this into my patio table, please. I want it to be a literal country heirloom. So he has her there, has her talking about the dress. She brings no enthusiasm, and then walks out. Yeah. She brings like kind of Dakota enthusiasm, like, oh, Oh. cool, a dress. So cool. It's a dress. I think that was quite a good impression of her. So cool. That was really cool. I really like it when, kind of going back to red carpet, but like when celebrities dress very literally for the film, like obviously that's been completely owned by Margot Robbie for Barbie. She was not the first. Zendaya. Exactly. Zendaya. Yeah, what a woman. But Even yeah, before Madame... June, she was like with Spider-Man. Let's go back. Okay, keep it. Let's go full circle. Let's stay in the Spider-Man universe. She would go to premieres wearing like web dresses. 
Maybe that's why Dakota was into it, because it's kind of been done before by the most powerful dresser on every red carpet. Maybe. Zendaya. But anyway, where can we see Madame Webb? In cinemas now. In cinemas now. And it's a charming found family story wrapped in a violent horror comedy, is how it's been described. By which us? Which all goes well. <laughs> <laughs> which all goes well. That sounds <laughs> layered. I'm maybe, I'm not the biggest superhero fan. I, shock horror, love superhero films. I love an action film. That's my that's my that's my dream genre. Even though I just spoke about like elderly people and me crying. Listen, you but, should you have know, there's I'm, complexities. I'm, yeah. There's there's layers to my personality. Should we get our man in? Let's bring our man in. So here he is. Our Hi, man about hello. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? I like was introducing you. And you oh, you were. <laughs> I just like I can't help myself. I'm here. <laughs> Ta-da. Ta-da. He's hidden. He's in the room. Do you guys miss the cameras? I do now because right now be... I feel like we should have the cameras. We've, it would maybe have made us bring a bit more of our A game this week. When we've been in like the tiny little pod, I felt comfortable and like Cozy. it's been like womb like. Yeah. But in this room, it's different. I don't know. Look, we're hoping to bring the cameras back as head of multimedia at the National. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we will be bringing it back because it's so important. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it is Please. a podcast. And our YouTube followers need it. Our YouTube us. followers need it. Mm. So, yeah, we will be bringing back the cameras. Do not worry. But for now, we are going to listen yes. to what you have to say. I'm going to put you on the spot. Do it. I like the spot. We've had quite a lot of conversation about red carpet mm. in this episode already. So I want to ask you about something that I've seen you be quite passionate about on Instagram. <laughs> so let's talk Anya Taylor Joy. Yes. So there's been a lot of like discussion about her Dior couture dress, which yeah. resembles a veil or hijab of some sort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think like from just an aesthetic point of view, I think it looks really nice. I think it was, it's, it's a I very thought beautiful, it was really pretty. It was a very cool. I didn't list. know there was controversy. There was, there was a lot of controversy, Why? like cultural appropriation. You know, if somebody's wearing something similar in their everyday living in the West, they're oppressed. They're seen as oppressed. But if you're wearing on the red carpet, oh, it's fashionable. It's like yeah. fashion forward. It's avant-garde. Oh. And I get that argument. I understand. And, you know, I'm. we don't live in the West, so we don't understand. I mean, I haven't lived there in a long time, so I can't speak to that. Like how it feels to, of course, I, I don't wear hijab. Well, I mean, there's like literally I, countries where you aren't allowed. Exactly. It's it's it's. I get that. And I, I think those countries are to blame. But somebody covering their hair, that's not, that's not Anya's fault. Can it's I not. also... Like, tell me if you think I'm like, like, hey, white girl, you're stepping out of line. Yeah, you can both say that. <laughs> it also gave none. It also, 100%, that's what I was going to say. It actually gave religious iconography, like yeah. none, um, you know, uh, also gave sari. Yeah. You know, it gave a lot of these, and sari is not a religious um, uh, outfit, but it gave a lot of different, you know, the veil in, in, in so many different forms exists in so many different yeah. colors in different ways. It didn't strike me as inherently Muslimic. No, it didn't either. I think I, I didn't wide. think that at all. When I saw it, I didn't even think of the hijab. I think people also put the link because Dune has been controversially, the, the book by Frank Herbert has been accused of culturally appropriating Middle Eastern yeah. and um, Islamic trope, not tropes, Islamic like images and symbols like the, the lone man in the desert seeking yeah. solace, but it's actually like a white savior trope. So there's a lot of like... They do look like Tuaregs. They, they do, yeah. But then also like Star Wars, I believe like there was a lot of like the Sufi traditions of like wearing wool, yes. which is yeah. a Sufi thing. 
And, you know, the whole idea of being a Jedi, that was often linked, that he took inspiration. Like when we first met, you showed me your whole deep dive into the Jedi. This is the whole thing that I was um, trying to talk about, which is like not everything is cultural. And we talked about this actually last week at the podcast about Martin Puchner, the man who wrote the book Culture from Cave Art to K-Pop. About not everything is, like cultural appropriation isn't always about taking something and not naming it. Like as artists and creatives, you're influenced by everything around you. What's the point of traveling then? And like Mm. seeing different countries and experiencing different cultures. Like it all is an accumulation of the things we experience and you create something something new from it. So you weren't here actually earlier. We were talking about wearing saris. We were. And we were like quite excited by it. You should be. But is that cultural appropriation? I don't think so. Like for, I I mean, I didn't, wear it to like dress up or channel it. I was like kind of like in keeping with a celebration that I was invited Attending. to. Yeah. So there we go. And yeah. It wasn't costume. And there's a difference between uh, appreciation and appropriation. Yeah. Yeah. Or exploiting something like, you know. There's, there's I start selling saris. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you, and, and you're doing bad yeah. quality saris and you're not talking to people who understand saris. Like, oh, I'm, this, this is like a thing. I'm going to sell it. But you not having no awareness or education around it. Do you know mm. what I mean? I think it's that. I think also with Anya... Taylor Joy's outfit at the premiere. It also was like a a very direct reference of a vintage Dior, dress. Dior look. Yeah, yeah, a really old one by um, Mark Hobart. I forget his name now. That was that was good recall. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, it and it's it was an old dress, and and that designer he wasn't creating that dress based on any religious influences. He was really obsessed with creating streamlined, timeless outfits that have no like ornamentation and it's all about like the line and the structure he was a little bit influenced by like the berber culture from north africa for some of his designs which is really cool but it, it it's not it's just so it's a strange thing i think to think like this person copied this specific thing yeah. it, it doesn't really make make sense like you know that famous dress that Liv hurley wore that made her famous at the four weddings and a funeral premiere with hugh grant with the, with the, the black and liz, yes liz hurley, liz hurley the, sorry with the, with the gold safety pins well, my, versace. Yeah, safety yeah, the versace dress the versace safety pin dress yeah. Gian, gianni versace he was directly influenced by saris and those big brace long bracelets when he created that whole collection but you wouldn't think it when you see but then when he explains and you read about how the way they drape the outfit around the body the the cloth around the body is directly influenced by saris you think oh how interesting like he looked at saris along along with other things like you know those greek statues where they have all those toga toga? he took those and combined them and created that whole look that defined the 90s like i think that is what's interesting and 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 it's not really cultural appropriation when you're creating something new using different inspirations Mm. do you know what i mean yeah fascinating i mean honestly guys it's 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 giving big vna We're learning. <laughs> so, Energy. What else has been going on in Man's World other than talking fashion online? Other than talking fashion online. <laughs> well, I went to, I've never talked about the Foundry on here. So the no. Foundry is a really cool art space. It's actually a co-working space. It's a cafe. They have like a little library as well, but they have three gallery spaces. It's on um, Sheikh Ben Zayed Road, the boulevard in downtown. One of their spaces has a whole uh, exhibition that's lasting until March 25th. Uh, it's called The Circle is a Point, and it is a collaboration with the Bridget Art Foundation. And it's a group show of Arab and North African photographers. And it's a combination of like some really important, innovative photographers as well as contemporary photographers. Some of the names I wanted to mention whose work that I, I really, really like is Ahmed Matar, who is a Saudi artist. And one of his 
photographs or his series of photographs that I love. It's called The Evolution of Man. And it's like four or five photographs. And it begins with a, an X-ray of a man holding a gun sort of towards his head. With each photo, the X-ray, X-ray transforms into a gasoline pump. Because, you know, the gasoline pump has the, the what do you call it, wire? The pump part. That's, that's hose. The hose. <laughs> the wire. <laughs> Doesn't drive, you can tell. Um, <laughs> like, I don't. <laughs> yeah, the plug. So the hose that connects to the gasoline part. So you see, it's like an interesting commentary on our obsession with oil and how man is slowly turning into like gasoline. It's just a very interesting hmm. image. Um, you also have one of my favorite photographers of all time, um, Van Leo. He was an Armenian-Egyptian photographer, uh, super famous in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And his work is like high contrast, glamorous, black and white. He photographed all of the the golden age of all the Arab celebrities. Oh. And he photographed dancers and artists in this very particular glamorous beautiful way. They have these two little photographs in the show of is a South African dancer called Teddy something, Teddy Teddy Lane, sorry. Uh, he's not that famous, but he photographed him in this very beautiful black and white way, but they, he looks like he's made of gold. I don't know how to explain it. Like, this is how how master, masterful he is with his his lighting. And also, they have this amazing Iraqi photographer called Leith Al-Ani, who, was, who photographed, between, uh, photographed Iraq in the 1950s and 60s, and he was the only or one of the first photographers at the time to photograph a changing Iraq. So when Iraq was changing from like Mesopotamia to an urban center in the Middle East, he was capturing these massive buildings or these massive like industrial structures that were being built. And what's so cool about his uh, photographs is that he'll be shooting from inside a pipe and like a worker creating this massive pipe. But in the background, you can see like this really ancient building in Iraq or this really ancient or the, the landscape of Iraq. So he really understood how to to show the world that Iraq is changing to this urban, important city, but ret- it's still trying to retain its heritage. I love his photographs. So if you guys want to see a mixture of like Arab photographers who are photographing in a very contemporary way, but also important, innovative photographers, definitely go check out the show. That sounds really stunning. Yeah. It's really cool. I, I love the like, I think that sometimes... Like Middle Eastern architecture isn't necessarily celebrated enough, but like also the transitions to industrialization, which has happened in a really short amount of time Mm. where we are actually kind of grappling with ancient, ancient civilization at the same time as Mm -hmm. modernity Mm -hmm. um, is always really fascinating to me. I'm I'm a huge fan of like Abu Dhabi architecture. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, the mid-century-esque. Anyway, apparently that's really millennial. What? Liking mid-century stuff. Well, of course, Elliot, have you been to my house? <laughs> <laughs> um, what else is going on, man? Um, so, Ripe Market. Have you been yet, Dina? No. no. What is this? Like, other people yeah. have spoken about this. It's a very nice space. It's a very cool, family-friendly, but also very, oh. like, hip place to be. Oh, that sounds like me. You can be a f- hip family if oh, you go. Hello. <laughs> Let me cycle over. I'll bring <laughs> yeah. them in a little I, I used to have a trailer. Bikes. I had a trailer. I'm like, that's how hip I was. So it happens in Barsha in the Police Park Academy, I think it's called. And basically all of these very cool local Dubai-based or UAE-based brands come and sort of set up little pop-up shops. So you have like home decor, you have food, you have like organic stuff, you have like perfumes, you have like prints and some art as well. What I really like is you get a lot of these brands that I like to buy from online. 
are like Majma ice cream or House of Pops. They're all desserts. You can actually <laughs> see the place, like you can see them, you know, physically and you can speak to the owners there as well. There's also Mr. Frosties. You guys would have never have heard of Mr. Frosties. What's <laughs> what this? is Mr. Frosties? It is a New Zealand brand of, uh, of ice cream. Everyone. You've suggested three desserts. Go to yeah. the yeah. just, for three I just, desserts. I just want to say, man's face lit up. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Frosties. So for if anyone who doesn't know who's new here, I grew up in New Zealand and Mr. Frosties was like the staple ice cream place. And so when I was at the ripe market last week, I was like, what is, why is there Mr. Frosty's branding? So I went up right to the guy and in classic New Zealand, they have like a big, it's a big black van because black is like a big color in New Zealand because, you know, the all blacks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. a big deal, silver fern. And so it's a, it's a New Zealand Dubai based expat who brought the brand over here. And it's like soft serve ice cream, you know, similar to the McDonald's one that you get, but like much, much better and much healthier for you. And um, they even have a vegan option of it, which was amazing. So they get this ice cream and they put it in a, in a thing that mixes it with fresh fruit. And so it's it's really, it's Ooh. really amazing. Oh, it's it really does amazing. sound very good. Oh my God. But aside from that, you can just sit and frosty. chill. Yeah. <laughs> you can sit and chill, have a nice time with friends, with family. It's a really nice atmosphere. For families. This For is families, good. Well, yeah. I'm going to be up in uh, Dubai this Friday to go and see my, my friend's got an exhibition on Aya Haider's solo exhibition called Battlegrounds. Oh. For the opening, I'm going to yes. be there at the Tabari, Tabari Art, Art Space. Space. Oh, Are you going to okay. be there? Yes, Wait. I'm, I'm going to be passing by there. Uh, I got you a ticket, by the way. Oh. So you Surprise. can come. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. I've heard a lot about this show, actually. Yeah, I've heard a lot about this show. She's a friend a of mine cool interviewed artist. her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, anyway, yeah. yeah. So I she's a mother of four, right? Yes, she is. So from what I know, the exhibition's all about... Um, motherhood mainly yeah Yeah. she did do a really cool exhibition a few years back in london and it was loads and loads of it was a washing line loads and loads of clothes with embroidered on them like all the like silent tasks that mothers do what you have and she may have embroidered something for me to have in my house so i've got a bit oh this is very cool it's very cool so yeah she lands as we speak oh Oh, so yeah we'll see her friday and what's the last thing you have to talk to us about, man? The last thing I'll talk to you guys about is the IPAF, so the International Prize for Arabic Fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big deal, and the shortlist is has been announced, uh, and they are Babel Mecca Multiverse by Saudi author Raja Alam, um, Suleiman's Ring by Syrian author Rima Bali, The Seventh Heaven of Jerusalem by Palestinian writer Sama Al-Isa, a Mask, The Color of the Sky by Palestinian author Basim Khandaji, and Gambling on the Honor of Lady Misty by Egyptian novelist Ahmed Al-Mursi and The Mosaist by Isa Nasri from Morocco. Now, each of these authors from across the Arab world, they each, as part of the shortlist, they are prized with $10,000 each. And then an additional $50,000 uh, will be given to the winning author at the ceremony, which is happening on April 28th, the day before the Abu Dhabi Book Fair opens. Wow. Oh, so, so this is very cool because new albums released. say again <laughs> no ignore me carry ah. on <laughs> um, what's very cool is that from uh, reading about the novels they're they're written in Arabic by the way so if there's any um, listeners out there who like reading Arabic novels you should definitely check it out check them out because they're from all around um, the Arab world and I just want to read something that one of the judges who's a well-known Syrian writer uh, Nabil Suleiman said about the selection of the shortlist so he said the, sh- the shortlisted novels offer us a profound fictional excavation of history where the distant and more recent past and future intersect it's interesting because all of the books now this is me talking um, <laughs> <laughs> all of the novels deal with various things that the current contemporary Arab person is sort of dealing with 
So whether it's the body, the land, the longing for freedom and justice. But what's interesting is that all of them are doing it in different styles and from uh, d different voices and different genres. So they're very, a very diverse list. That's so cool. Do either of you read in Arabic? I do sometimes, but very. I, it's mainly newspapers that I read in Arabic. I read very slowly, especially with novels like you know, it's 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 a slow it's a slow. Read. I think it's a shame, right? I'm really hoping that it I is. can give my children like more Arabic lessons because I do I don't want them to like miss out on the joy of having a second language, especially one as rich as Arabic. Yeah, I think it's great if they're able to speak. Reading is is can be can be very. Difficult. I think I must read more than you then, if it's that Maybe. slow. I mean, with novels, like I can read. Uh, yeah. Have you ever know. tried reading like a kind of like a more of a kind of like Girls of Riyadh or something like that, which is kind of like almost. You know what I did do, which I would recommend anyone who's trying to improve their Arabic reading, is that I read the Harry Potter books in Arabic ah. because I know the story really well and I've read them in English a million times. So then, reading in Arabic, I already I'm not trying to figure out what's happening. Uh, I'm just yeah. I'm just focusing on the language. That's a good so idea. That 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 definitely helped me. But like any language, it's about practice, right? So like mm. my speaking is is fine because I speak all the time but the reading as I don't know if all the listeners know like reading in Arabic is a different dialect it's the classic Arabic Fusha it's not the dialect so it's just about sharpening that tool right well that's it that's all we've got time for today thank you so much for listening and if you like this episode please follow and subscribe on your favourite podcasting app and don't forget to tell all your friends and family about it bye bye